welcome to the ministries of the Bohomi Baptist Church, where we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fair before Him in all the earth. And the pastor is Reverend Nelson. Be blessed by the sermon that you're about to hear. We have already read the scripture and amen. Would like us to go back there again. Amen. I want to look at verses 37 through 40 of Matthew chapter 22. I just want to read those verses again. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And we say amen and amen. So last week we established what the situation was. There were those who wanted to trap Jesus because they really wanted to kill him but they couldn't find any occasion. They were trying to trap him. They couldn't find a reason so they were trying to trap him. And so there were a series of questions that were asked him of different groups. So First of all, it started with the Herodians, Herod Intsmen, asked him if it was lawful to pay tribute or to pay taxes. And Jesus discerned their hypocrisy that they were trying to trap him. And he said, bring me a coin. And they brought him and said, whose image is this? And they said, Caesar. He said, render to Caesar. The things that are Caesar's. Give Caesar what is due Caesar. And give God what is due him. Then the Sadducees came with their number one trick question that the Pharisees could not have answered. And so they said, Moses said in the law that if a man married a wife and he had no children and he died, then the other brother should marry that same wife and bring up children unto his Brothers, so there were seven brethren, and all of them married the same woman, and none had children with her. Now, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And they thought they had Jesus. Jesus said, You're ignorant, you don't understand the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, we will not marry nor give in marriage, parents will not 
give their children into marriage and there will be no marriage because we all will be like the angels. Amen. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And then the Pharisees, they, having heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they chose one of their most brilliant lawyers to now question Jesus. And so this lawyer asked him, Master, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then Jesus said, And the second is like unto it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now he did not ask for a second great commandment. He asked for one, which is. But Jesus gave a second. And he gave this second because love has to be illustrated. Love has to be demonstrated. Amen. And so a person cannot just say, well, I, I love God and that's all there is to it. I'm holy and I'm righteous. But there must be some fruits, some evidence oh Lord, that the one who loves God, loves his neighbor also. Don't let nobody fool you. Tell you how much they love God, but they don't love anybody else. It's a lie. If you love God, you have to love others too. Oh God, are you there with me? So, so Jesus substituted, added a second greatest commandment. He only asked for one. But Jesus gave him two. And according to Mark's record of this account, when this young man asked Jesus the question, and Jesus answered him, he said, Master, it's true. But to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that's, that's all there is to it. And Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. You are close to the kingdom. What he's saying is, you're coming along. You're not there as yet, but... You're coming along. You're not far from the kingdom. So Jesus teaches here that the great commandment to love God flows downward into another great commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now last week we examined what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. We went into that. This morning, I would like us to consider the second, which is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus builds on this in John 14, 20. And listen to what he says. If a man say, of 1 John, this is John writing in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. 
If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he can see, how can he love God whom he cannot see? And this commandment have we from him that he who loves God loves his brother also. Where this commandment comes from. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Paul tells us that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were messed up, <laughs> Christ died for us. When a man truly sees the love of God for him, he cannot but love God and shares the love of God with his neighbor. It is the love of Christ for us. His death, his sacrifice that compels us to go and to love everybody. We love him, John says, because he first loves us. Paul says the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So we want to examine this command that's given us here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we know the psychologists talk about the different selves, and we are not going to get into that today, but I want to submit that spiritually, there are two types of self. There is the corrupt love of self, and there is the godly love of self. Two types of self-love. The corrupt one, and then there is the godly one. Now, how are they manifested? How can we distinguish between both? I submit to us, first of all, that the corrupt love of self is really selfish. That is where a person believes that everything revolves around them and they are the center of everything. 
that everything has to go their way. And if it does not go their way, they have nothing to do with it. They're always right. That's self-love. Always demanding recognition. Yes, because I am this and I am that. And this kind of self-love ignores others. Yes. This self-love is one that pushes the individual to be the center of everything. And we all know some of those people. You don't have to say amen. This kind of self-love. And I'm making the point here that in order for us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, then we first of all have to love ourselves. Follow me now. But the question is, how do we love ourselves? What kind of love do we have for ourselves? Or what kind of love we should have for ourselves to be able to fulfill this commandment that is given to us here? Stay with me. Stay with me. So first there is this corrupt love of self. And that is certainly not what Jesus is talking about here. But that there is also a godly love for self that is natural and that is pleasing to God. It is a type of love that stirs strong self-image, confidence, and assurance. The godly love of self comes from knowing three things. First of all, that one is actually the creation of God. That it is God who created you. It's God who made you. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that God has made you the way you are for a purpose. And that you are part of God's purpose. That you have a purpose to fulfill. Amen. That there is not another like you. That you are unique. Somebody might look like you. They might talk like you, but they are not you. You're unique. That God has made you the way that he made you for his glory. He has a purpose. Are you following me? Secondly, this kind of self-love acknowledges that one is actually the object of God's love which is the supreme love of all. That God loves us so much that he was willing to send his only son to die for us. This, this was not a fairy tale, friend. This is not the fiction of somebody's imagination. 
Jesus came and Jesus died literally. Amen. And he went back to heaven. And the wonderful thing is he's coming back again. Yes, he is. And nobody knows when. But we know for certain that he's coming back again. And that you who are not ready need to get ready. If you who are not saved need to be saved so you can have the Spirit of God in you. Hallelujah. That you can be connected with Him. Am I talking to somebody? You who are not saved need to be saved. God loves us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the godly love of selves comes from knowing, thirdly, that one is actually the trustee of God's gifts. The greatest gifts possible. First of all, God has given you life. Ah, when we talked last week about when we talk about self we talk about it's life that God has given to us amen that there are those persons who love to talk to their plants and, and all of that and you know the plants are alive but the thing about it is they cannot respond amen because they don't have a living soul they have life amen but we are Actually, the trustee of God's gift, the greatest gift of all. First of all, we have life. Amen. We are alive. And life in and of itself is a mystery. Something we don't understand. But we have it. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> and once we have it, we have it. We are alive. And when God is ready, he takes it. He gives life and he takes it. Life belongs to him. Oh Lord. But not only are we the recipients of life, but we are also the recipients of God's great salvation. Think about it. The greatest gift of all. Salvation of our souls. That those of us who are saved by the grace of God, we have the greatest gift of all. Amen. Along with this salvation or this deliverance, the Bible says, come many gifts. And so God has gifted us as his children. Uh, we are talking about, still talking about loving thy neighbor. Still what we are talking about, we are establishing how this love that we are to have for our neighbor, how it's manifested. Because there is a wrong type of self-love, and that's not what God wants us to pass on. But there is a right type, and that is what he wants us to pass on. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Oh, Lord. The Bible says, 
that this godly type of self-love also has three traits that are outlined in scripture. First, it esteems others better than self. It does not esteem self ever so highly, but it esteems others better than self. You know, there are people who, when things are going wrong in their life spiritually, all of a sudden it's going wrong in everybody else's life. Instead of acknowledging that there is something wrong in their life, they make it look like it's wrong in everybody else's life. Because if it's wrong with them, it must be wrong with everybody else. No. We need to have a humble estimation of ourselves and go to God as individuals. When things are wrong in our life, we know things are wrong with us, not necessarily that it's wrong with everybody else. Because we are different. So the Bible says, this kind of love esteem others better than self. Also, the Bible says to us that we ought to allow nothing to be done through strife or through vain glory in the body of Christ. Nothing whatsoever. But with lowliness of mind, he says, let each esteem other better than themselves. The kind of love that we are to have for our neighbor is the love that looks on the things of others. Yes, it's a love that is concerned about the things of others. Now that doesn't mean that we meddle in people's business now. For one of the tenets of Christianity is mind your own business. Oh Lord, that's what the Bible teaches. Work with your own hands and mind your own business. Peter said, if you be buffeted for your cause, take it patiently. If you mess in people's business, and they, ha, 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 whatever, whatever that is, then you have to take it patiently. Because it's your fault. If you suffer for your fault, you take it patiently. But if when you do the right thing and you suffer for it, the Bible said God is glorified. Can I get an amen in the house? It's not everything that we, or every suffering that we experience, mean that we suffer because we are Christians. No. You can't be a Christian and suffer because of your fault. Everybody get quiet now. You can't be a Christian and your suffering comes about because of your fault. Not because you're a believer. Because if you are not a believer and you do the same thing, you would have suffered the same. Tell me if I'm preaching now. <laughs> if you suffer for your faults as a child of God, you need to take it patiently. That's what God's word says. But if you know you're doing the right thing and suffering comes, give God the glory, somebody. Give God the praise. Amen. But then you know that your suffering 
is righteous suffering. Then you know that your suffering is just suffering. Oh, Lord. I don't want to lose anybody, so let me go on. The third characteristic of this kind of love that we are to transmit to our neighbor is a love that is humble. And humility, my friends, is an absolute necessity when it comes to pleasing God. Romans chapter 12 verse 3 for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith so what is the standard by which we are to estimate ourselves the writer, the Apostle Paul, immediately adds the caution to us that we should not be proud and measure ourselves based on our gifts or based on our abilities or based on our talents. Because sometimes we see people operating in their gifts and as far as we are concerned, they're operating to their fullest capacity. But from God's perspective, they're doing nothing much because of what he has given to them. Oh, Lord, because of the measure of grace that he has given to them, even though they're doing so much in our sight, they're doing so little in God's sight. Uh, because he gives to us according to the measure of faith. Am I talking to us? God has given you a gift and your gift is, for example, to sing. But you, you can only sing one song and you love your favorite song and you sing it. And then you can say, well, oh, is that a person sing and sing so many and do so well? Well, it's according to the measure of the grace that is given. And every one of us should operate in that grace that is given to us and not striving to be somebody else, but to be ourselves. God saved us as we are. And God expects us to operate within that giftedness. Whatever so often we try to mimic others because we believe, well, this is the way. We ought to seek God, amen, and allow God to lead us in the way that he would have us to go. Oh, Lord, still talking about humility here, my brothers and sisters. So what are the standards by which we should measure ourselves when it comes to humility? By our character. We are to have a humble estimation of ourselves. Understand that we are humans. And sometimes we believe that we are so right. And then all of a sudden we realize that we are so wrong. Yes, we are so right. Based on the information that we have. But when we get more information, 
we realize that we were so wrong. Hmm. So none of us should consider ourselves as if we are always right. Nobody's always right. Mm -mm. That, that's a selfish approach to life. That's the kind of love that for self that we are not to maintain, we are not to have. And God is concerned, brothers and sisters, about humility, you know, because it's only in humility are we going to be able to really please God. You know, the Bible tells us of Israel as a nation. God called them out of Egypt or delivered them from Egypt's bondage. But before God brought them in the promised land, God tested them in the wilderness 40 years to see what was in their heart, he says. Whether they would keep his commandment, whether they would humble themselves or not. Oh, you, oh you, don't, you don't think that is so. Let me read it for you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Listen to the word of God. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. Verse 3 says, And he humbled you and suffered you to be hungry and fed you with manna, which you knew not. Neither did your fathers know that he might make you to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doeth man live. Humility. This kind of love that we are to have for our neighbor is to be a humble love. And Jesus himself taught this to his disciples as they strove for prominence. And Jesus knew what was going on. He, after supper, he washed their feet, teaching them to be humble, teaching them how to serve. Peter says to us, all you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resisted the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we have to establish, first of all, that it is all right for us to love ourselves. But the kind of love that we are to have for ourselves is a unique kind of love that we are to have for ourselves. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, there was a song, I don't know who the author is, and I certainly couldn't find, but there's a, the, the premise of that song is God and others first, and then me. You may have heard it. God and others first, and then me. 
Now there might be those who have attained that status and that's wonderful. But what the Bible teaches us is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not more than you love yourself. Am I talking to us? I'm talking about what the word of God teaches now. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not more than you love yourself. But love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what you would want for yourself, that is what you should do for your neighbor. You're still with me. I haven't lost anybody yet. We need to understand this, that to love our neighbor is a command, not an option. And if the commandment is not obeyed, God is displeased and we stand guilty of sin before God. Yes. To love our neighbor generates a couple of questions. And one of the first is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered that question by using the parable of the Good Samaritan to demonstrate what neighborliness is all about and who is our neighbor. So based on that parable, our neighbor is everyone in the world, no matter the person's status, no matter the person's condition, no matter the person's circumstances. Every person who we come across, who have needs that we can minister to, all of a sudden, that person becomes our neighbor. Doesn't have to live in the same community with us. Doesn't have to live next door to us or anything else. As a matter of fact, we don't even have to know them. But just that there is a need and we are able to minister to that need, all of a sudden that person becomes our neighbor. Ah, oh, stay with me. To love our neighbor is a very practical command and it involves some very practical acts that are spelled out in scripture and as we think about this love there are some qualities of love that the Bible uh, brings out to us that we all should think about first of all when we if we love our neighbor we are going to be patient with them for love is what? Patient. Oh yes. If we love our neighbor, then we are not going to be jealous of them. We are not going to be jealous of their success. Oh Lord. And this is one of the things that I see in the church that Christians are not free to talk about the blessing of the Lord. 
Oh Lord, they're not free to talk about how God bless them because as soon as they start, somebody said they're boasting. Not only are we to weep with those who weep, but we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And when a person has a reason to rejoice and they share it with the body of Christ, we are to rejoice with them. If God has blessed them and they choose to share the blessing, to let others know how God has blessed them, then we need to learn to rejoice with them. You see, we, we weep with everybody who weep. But when it comes to rejoice, we don't rejoice with everybody who rejoice. Oh, they're boasting. Oh, they're this. And all that comes about because of covetousness. All that comes about because of jealousy. And that is the wrong type of love. That's not the right attitude. You know, they sit down and listen and somebody talk about God's blessing on their life. And you say, oh man, my day is going to come. Oh Lord, my day is going to come. Yes, because the same God who blessed them is able to bless me too. So my day is going to come. I have hope. Instead of getting envious of God's blessing on somebody's life, rejoice with them. Amen. And the God who blessed them will one day bless you too. That's the same God you're serving. Oh, hallelujah. And then there are those who believe that once God finished blessing them, the blessing is over. Nobody else is going to be blessed. That's not how we work, friends. <laughs> God has endless resources. Amen. He has endless resources. And he's able to bless as he sees fit. Depends on what you can handle to. Talk with me, somebody. Love does not brag. The kind of love that we have to have toward our neighbor is not a boastful kind of love. Love does not brag. Soon as we have a few dollars, we are on top of the world. We walk on everybody else. The money is not supposed to change you. Oh Lord. Love is not puffed up, the Bible says. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not unmannerly. You know, you have some Christians who have no manners. You have some Christians who have no manners whatsoever. No, so no, amen, no. Because that's, that's, just, that's just the reality. Love is not something that is easily provoked. Oh, love. 
The Bible says love it bears all things, 1 Corinthians 13. It believes all things, it endures all things. Love never fails. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And somebody might be thinking, saying, well, the love that I give, I don't receive. I don't receive it in the same proportion that I give it. This is not about receiving. That's not what we are talking about here. What the Bible is talking about is our responsibility to love. Amen. To love. And once we are doing what God tells us to do with the right spirit, the right attitude, then don't worry about anything else. Because the truth is, not everybody that can really receive love, you know. So now you give it that it bounces back. Oh, Lord. It's not everybody. So don't, don't measure it by saying, well, I've always been doing. I've always been loving, but nobody is showing me that in return. Keep on doing it. If you're doing it for the glory of God, keep on doing it. Yes, keep on. Because one day out of nowhere, you're going to really experience that love. In return, oh Lord, stay with it. Do what you're doing and don't give up once you're doing the right thing. And you know from your heart of heart that what you're doing is right and you're doing it for the glory of God. Keep on doing it. Don't let the response or the lack thereof cause you to cease doing what you're doing. Oh Lord. We are studying the heroes of the faith. In Hebrews. And we look at these men and these women. And look at their lives. And what they encountered. But they never gave up. They never gave up. They believed God. And they kept pressing on. They kept pressing on. They kept pressing forward. And they died without even receiving, but they died in faith. And they are recorded in scripture for our encouragement, amen. They are recorded as the heroes of faith. Hmm. So Jesus did not want anybody to just get hung up on saying, well, I love God and it's something between myself and my God and has nothing to do with anybody else and to become militant in our, in our Christianity and ignore others on the side and no, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. So he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, Jesus here used love as a hammer. Love for God as a hammer and love for neighbor 
as a hammer. And he said, on these two hang all the law and the prophet. Picture the hammer. And all the other requirements in scripture. When he talks about the law and the prophet, it's referring to the entire scripture. The entire word of God. The term law and prophets as used in the Bible refers to the totality of God's word. And Jesus says, on these two commandments, they are the hammers. Love for God and love for neighbor. And he says, on these two hammers hang all the law and the prophets. Everything is hang on to those two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Reading from Romans chapter 10, verse 8 through 10 in closing. The Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And verse 10 says, Love works no evil to his neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love. Jesus says on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then secondly, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not more than yourself, but as you love yourself. And there are people who don't love themselves. And that's why we went through the kind of love that we have to have for ourselves. Because that is how we are to love our neighbor. Amen. Love, my friend conquers it all. Love fulfills it all. Amen. It is the love. For God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only, only begotten, the only of his kind, only son to die as a criminal that you and I can be set free. Oh, my friend, don't, don't, don't allow your opportunity to slip you by. Surrender your life to the Lord Jesus. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And so he loves you. And you are to reciprocate to that love and to love him in return. Amen. With you today. Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved and 
matter who you are today, salvation can be yours. You can leave this place fully confident that you are a child of God, that you are saved by the grace of Almighty God. Will you give him a chance in your life today? Will you? Let him have his way. You bow your heart and invite him in. Lord Jesus, I invite you to my heart as my personal Savior and my Lord. That simple prayer can change your life, change your destiny, change your future if you mean it from the depths of your heart. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for demonstrating this love that you have for us in sending your only Son to die in our place. And our Father, I pray that we would love you in return. We would love you back. And we would demonstrate this love to our neighbors by loving others. And our Father, I pray for those who might be here in this house who have not really started, have not really started loving you. I pray, O oh God, that they will respond to your love and surrender their lives to you. O oh God, make yourself real to somebody today. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to go into the next portion of our service this morning, the communion portion. Amen. This is given us by our Lord for being in the way. tells us that we should examine ourselves as we gather at the Lord's table, that each of us should examine ourselves, examine our own hearts, amen, and whatever might not be right with the Lord for us to take care of it before we participate or before we partake at the Lord's table, that we need to, amen, make sure that our individual hearts are right with God. Amen. And our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we gather at this time, that we will each examine our own hearts before you. Make sure, God, that we are all at that place that we need to be. 
to be able to participate in this celebration of your death, your burial, and your resurrection in Jesus' name. We come now to the observance of the Lord's Supper given to us to celebrate in memory of his broken body and his shed blood. It is said that on the night before he was betrayed at the conclusion of the feast of the Passover which he and his disciples were celebrating that Jesus took bread and having blessed it break it gave to his disciples and said this is my body which is given for you. I'm going to ask uh, Reverend uh, Williams to just ask God's blessing on the bread at this time. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Eternal Father, we thank you, God, for this moment in your presence. We thank you, God, for loving up your word and how much you loved us, God, with an everlasting love. For you said, greater love had no man than this, that a man led up his life for his friend. Father, you led up his life that you take it up again, O oh God. And we just want to thank you, God, that your body was broken, O oh God, to us. And we said there, we thought, for the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we thank you, God, for your precious blood that was shed for us. Thank you, God, for your broken body, Father God, we pray Christ in you. This is that bread which came down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate and died. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. The body of Christ in On that same night, our Lord took the cup and having blessed it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood which was shed for you. We do ask uh, Brother Lloyd to ask God's blessing on the cup. to the law I may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and apart from shedding of blood there is no remission but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanseth us from all sin for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death he comes. The blood of Christ, everybody.
after our Lord and his disciples ate the bread and drank the wine celebrating the first Lord's Supper, it is said that they sang a hymn and they went out. I'm going to invite you now to stand with me. Amen. As we sing our theme song to be dismissed, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the great comforter. Rest, remain, and abide with us all, and let all of God's children say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. You are dismissed. All right, uh, just one moment before we go. Just one moment. Well, we just want to thank you for listening to today's sermon here at the Bavoni Baptist Church, where sharing Christ is every Christian's business. So as we depart, go and serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.